Hey, it's Brian. And hey, it's Murdoch. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories, everybody. We like to hear from you. We are the story guys at gmail.com, and it's been a while since we've dug into the mailbag, so we thought today we would do that together. And we have seen Mr. McFeely um, from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood has just dropped off. Of, wouldn't that be, <laughs> be freaking awesome if Mr. McFeely came I in I think here? Mr. McFeely is out of work, so we might we might be able to get him. He definitely has also changed his name. It is no longer Mr. McFeely. That does not feel like a name that in 2023 we're allowed to use. Oh, that is offensive. But when you said out of work, I was like, are you going to say he got laid off? Like, no, he's, <laughs> he's decomposing somewhere, dude. He's <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Uh, you guys have, have been generous with the feedback and with uh, the compliments and all sorts of stuff. We appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. Again, we are the story guys at gmail.com. We are the story guys.com is the website and Instagram.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories. All easy ways to get in touch. And of course, the Patreon, Patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories. Support our page and the content that we provide to you. Thanks a whole bunch. So we will go ahead and read this one. Um, this is a little older, a few weeks ago, but after the uh, amazing time that we had at Louder Than Life Music Festival, of course, uh, our listener Elvin from Erie PA got to yeah. go, and uh, he wrote he wrote us another note to say thank you. Even I think three or four thank you notes. This is uh, I love it. It's very generous with his thanks. And that uh, makes us feel good. He says, hey, just wanted to reach out and thank you guys one last time. I had such a blast all four days. I was in hard rock heaven. That's great. And he also had some good feedback uh, about the event. Probably the most well-run music festival I've ever attended. Unbelievable how efficient, fan-friendly, and family-friendly it was. That is true. true. Lots of kids. And actually, I think we talked about it, but the, the weekend before at Bourbon and Beyond, uh, my nephew and niece went with uh, uh, my brother and I, and we had a blast. And... That was a really good time, and people were so kind to these small kids. Uh, kids were in the pit, too. Yeah, there like, were, Louder Than Life is a family affair for sure. Totally, totally weird for me that you look up and it's like, though that's that's a teenager. Oh, yeah. I took my son to Green Day and we had a blast. He and it was he was he's not super into music. You know, that's that's the curse of if your dad's really into it, you might not be, right? Yeah. Uh, but he, he he can hang and we've seen quite a few good shows together. And so we saw uh, several bands that last day of the fest and we went to Green Day and I said, don't worry, you're going to know all these songs. Like you don't think you do, but you're going to know all these songs. And so about, I don't know, we got four or five songs in. I said, do you know these songs? And he looked at me and he goes, no. And I said, really? And he goes, <clears throat> I know every single word to every one of these songs. It was like, I know, right? Like they're everywhere. You can't get away from them. And uh, that was that was a really, that especially was a, is a fun show for, for the fam. If you've got it's interesting kids uh, of a certain age, I think Green Day is a great time. They, uh, they make it very conducive for that. So anyway, uh, to finish up what Elvin was saying, I ran stage to stage all day trying to take in as much as I could. I left the event impressed with so many bands. Foo Fighters crushed, and I expected that, but also saw great sets from bands like Silly Goose, Billy Talent, The Interrupters. I could go on and on, and I also discovered a lot of new bands that I plan on going home and taking a deep dive into. I look forward to hopefully hopefully hearing you guys talk more about this fest over time. Killer. Rock on, and please keep telling stories. Thanks, Elvin. By the way, um, uh, Danny Warner Presents, who is the promoter who put on the show, does... Uh, festivals all around the country, they already announced Aftershock for 2024. And there's like, I think an, an extra stage. So there's more acts. That's crazy. And there's, there's some really interesting things. And there's some things I was a little curious, but I mean, overall it looks pretty badass. Yeah. And to Elvin's point, the guy really knows how to throw a festival and do it in a way that, um, 
you know, cost some money, but you have a quite excellent experience uh, from from start to finish. He did right. P.S. Fred Durst is an ass. <laughs> and so we we did have a we didn't have a great. Uh, so we were talking about the guy like he's. In- important we didn't have a great fred durst uh show here in louisville and then wherever the show was it was in oh i guess it was maybe it was aftershock in california um and he dressed up like a cowboy and they 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 opened and closed with break stuff and he danced (laughs) he danced like he was on hee-haw he had like a belt buckle and he was doing that like country dance like you would see like people on tv doing like line dancing or whatever and it was like you know he owned it like own that crowd um and he said some uh, pretty crazy stuff when we were here so yeah it was it was not that was not what people were excited about i mean people had a lot to say about it but it's not was not the exciting, amazing set from the weekend as we had hoped it uh, it would be. But thanks, Elvin. Thank you for your appreciation, and thanks for uh, continuing to rock out with the show. We appreciate you. Um, commenting on some stuff in the back catalog, you know, one of the things that we do love is people discover this show, and for real. sometimes they will go back to the beginning once they discover it, which always is funny because when people ask me what my favorite episode is, I'm always like, whichever one we just finished. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not a, it's like. Yeah, it's not a competition. It's always the new episode is my favorite episode. Uh, and so sometimes I'm a little self-conscious about people going back to work that we did like pre-pandemic. You know what I mean? Like oh. this show is, we've been doing this show since 2019. So yeah. there's uh, a lot has changed, but every day there's people listening to these old episodes. And so occasionally I'll go back and like, it's like looking between my fingers where I'm like listening and I'm like clenching. Like, does this sound okay? And it's like, oh, okay. Uh, so it's encouraging when we hear from people like Chris who wrote to us and said, I discovered your podcast maybe a little over a month ago and immediately started at the beginning. I'm now on December 13th, 2022, Mariah Carey versus Christmas, which I love that episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I even enjoy the episodes on artists that I don't like because the chemistry between the two of you and your deep research makes every episode enjoyable. It's really nice. I consider myself quite the rock and roll nerd. I've watched countless documentaries and read many rock books, and I'm constantly learning new tidbits from the two of you. Excellent stuff. Thanks for making my work days go faster. Yeah, thanks, Chris. That's fantastic. That's incredibly nice and stuff. And what Brian says is true. I used to, there were songwriters I'd hear say that. They're like, oh, whatever, like the most recent things, I, those are my favorite things. I'm like, that sucks, dude. It's a terrible answer. Um, yeah. But it totally is. I mean, a hundred percent. All right, here's another one. Will wrote to say, uh, referencing your most recent podcast and the recency of Igor Stravinsky, which is, <laughs> we should remind people, we both admitted that we didn't realize that that guy, like, has been alive. In the last hundred years, like yeah. I, yeah, totally weird, right? You're like, oh, he was alive in the 16th century. Yeah, no, he was not. He was he was alive no, no. in like the 1930s, right? Uh, but this is what Will says. I think if I remember correctly, there's a plaque outside an auditorium commemorating the first American production of Rites of Spring happening in 1920 in no other than Knoxville, Tennessee. Why did you not know this? I forgot. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, I think he's right, man. I do. And and it may have taken place on. The University of Tennessee campus. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure, but I remember the pl- like the plaque sounds very. Familiar. Okay, we'll have to do some more research on that. But we'll thank you for that. Here's one from OpenMCC. Uh, is the oh. username Armin Zildjian was our neighbor in Hingham, Massachusetts. <laughs> what so we, is this? We did this episode oh about God. the Zildjian family, and this is what we hear from their neighbor. And it's a golden episode. No pun intended. It, it has uh, the, the feedback's been really fun. It's made me think about what other you know sort of 
things to the side we need to research, right? Like, cause we talk so much specifically about the bands and the artists and the songs, but these things are like the musical instruments. Like I, I it, there's a lot of stories there that I think we can dig up and that will be fun. But it, to go on, open MCC says my older sister used to babysit his children in the late fifties and early sixties. And I'm pretty sure I have old Christmas cards from that family somewhere. Get out, dude. I would like to see those Christmas cards. Did they come with money? I want to know if they came inside of symbol cases. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did they come with money? Oh, man. Uh, so we, we mentioned earlier that people will go through our catalog and hit old episodes. So, you know, we sometimes get letters and feedback where people are talking about an episode that we, you know, it's several years old and we sort of forget about it. So this one just recently we got a letter and it was in reference to episode 118 about Jerry Lee Lewis. Mm. When we talked about Jerry Lee Lewis and Janis Joplin and that whole throwdown that happened. <laughs> yeah. The Grand Ole Opry show in 1973 is a better show. He is complete. He completely hijacks the Opry that night. Each act is only supposed to get eight minutes. Jerry Lee does 45, which means they weren't able to get paid because they weren't able to do the commercials. Mm. He wasn't supposed to swear or do rock songs. He broke both rules and closed the show with Hank Williams. Uh, and because he was his hero who got kicked off the Opry and he knew he was going to get kicked off the Opry too. Wow. Did you know this story? This sounds like a story you would tell me. I just, I've forgotten all about it. Like I, like I know about the shows where he's drunk and there's things on YouTube that are amazing where he's hollering at the audience, but no, I'd kind of, I guess I kind of forgot about this, about this thing. It's weird how you, know, you think about how people think about that venue how they thought about that venue, how they thought about that show, how right. they thought about it. And then, you know, it's like stand-up comedians are playing in that place. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just a strange, like, yeah. it's just I mean, such a strange stretch of thinking about what the church is. And I mean, if well, you, I, I, call the, I call the venue the church, just call it the church. Sorry if everybody goes no, to no, church. No, 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 I, I think that's, I was actually going to call it that too. Because pews. So <laughs> one thing that we've been working on sort of in the background of, for a future episode is this idea of sacred spaces of rock and roll, yeah. right? And like where there are, and I don't necessarily just mean from a church perspective, but like the places and spaces that are have significance and why they have significance and what significance they bring. And, you know, place we talk about a lot on the show recently in terms of the city and the environment that shapes a band. Right. But also like, what are the actual places that have some mythology around them? Like the crossroads, right. With Robert Johnson. So we may get more into that. Cause I, I do think that's really interesting. I think the Opry is, is part of that whole conversation. One thing that we do on this show occasionally as a bonus episode are these albums that changed my life episodes where it's usually me just ranting about some record I like. And I always feel very self-indulgent when I do that. And we always get massive response. People, people <laughs> love them. And it's like so funny. And I think yeah. it's because sometimes I'm highlighting albums that are not like, you know, Sergeant Peppers, even though I do love that record. So it's like giving people this opportunity to hear someone talk about a record. They really like that. They were like, Oh, I've never heard somebody talk about liking that record before. And so, uh, we did this, our lady peace, episode recently and got quite a bit of feedback from folks. Uh, this one comes from Tony. Hey, thank you for highlighting such a great band in Our Lady Peace. I've been a fan since 93 when I heard Starseed on local radio and it captivated and changed my life with respect to music. I have all the albums except Curve and Spiritual Machines 2, which are newer ones. But this podcast will have me revisiting the entire catalog. Healthy and Paranoid Times is also a go-to road album for me, which is something that I said about it. And this album is so good. Uh, first track is probably my favorite on the album. I was fortunate to see them headline in 2017 in L.A., and they were as incredible as I thought they would be. I hope they get the chance to see them again. And thanks again for a great episode, Tony. 
Wow. Thanks, Tony. These letters are great. I Warm have feelings. never seen Our Lady Peace, uh, and I've always wanted to. Oh, no, 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 that's not true. I saw the very end of it. This is the weird thing because they're big in Canada and not big here. They were there was a period in the early two thousands where they were touring with my least favorite rock band at the time, which was Three Doors Down. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, have we talked about it? kicked out of a karaoke bar for doing the for doing what? The only song you should do when you're going to get kicked out of a karaoke here without you. No, no, <laughs> Superman, Superman, Kryptonite. Yeah, no, they, they, um, oh yeah, they, they pulled the faders down on me and told me, and told me to leave. <laughs> I was always surprised that Three Doors Down was better live than I thought they would be. But I've I always heard that. I've seen them multiple times, sort of by accident. Like I say that loosely, but like one time was because I wanted to see Our Lady Peace, and we got there late, and I think I saw the last song. So I've never seen a full set of Our Lady Peace. I had tickets to see them at Kane's Ballroom in Tulsa, twenty years. 20 plus years ago and the show got canceled at the last minute. Like those things have always happened. So I've never actually seen them. I own DVDs, all that sorts of stuff. But here's here. I, we heard that from Tony and that was a hundred percent positive. We heard from a guy in Canada and this is really interesting to me because they are Canadian. And we talk a lot about the dichotomy between Canada and America when it comes to rock bands. Yeah. And Canada really supports their musicians by, by paying making, them, by making sure that they get played on the radio and yeah, making sure they get play, radio play greetings from Canada. I recently heard the albums that changed my life episode about our lady peace and was surprised and intrigued. And I'm just curious as to why clumsy has a special place in my young adult heart. Many of us up here in Canada had a phase with that band, though not many of us will admit it. And so I was very curious about this. So I wrote, the gentleman back and i said are you telling me that our lady peace is like nickelback even though nickelback is also canadian so i can't say they're like the canadian nickelback right selling out every night for for yeah for canadians are they the successful band that nobody will admit that they will like and this was this was the response i got back olp is less polarizing than nickelback for sure you can admit to liking them without having your buddy do a spit take Rain, who's their lead singer, was often on our TVs talking about spoken word poetry or something, so there was always this kind of sideways glance at that band, but not disdain, like Nickelback. Uh, But, he put, who bought those 100 million Nickelback albums? (laughs) Hmm? (laughs) (laughs) Also, on that note, I learned that if not for the huge success of Nickelback, Roadrunner Records wouldn't have had seed money for the likes of Opeth, Mastodon, Billy Talent, etc. So thanks for that, Chad. What? A great point. I forgot that yeah. Nickelback was on Roadrunner. Yeah, they, all those metal yep. bands were yep. like on. I'm, I know they're on Roadrunner. I totally forgot. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. That is like the Goo Doll story with Metal Blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, we we may need to dive deeper into that. That's really fun. And thank you for this. I had no idea that like Canadians are embarrassed by Our Lady Peace. Though I will say I have revisited the most famous record of theirs. Uh, in America, which is Gravity, and it, the lyrics are not very good. And Rain does occasionally do some things where I'm like, you are making yourself look stupid. Like, your lyrics are sort of bad. So, I, I kind of get it, but I think the good really outweighs the bad. I mean, they're, they're the one band where, and I'm sure I said this on this episode, where when I think about my favorite albums, they're my only favorite band that has th- three of my favorite albums. Like, even the County Crows, I don't, have three favorite county like three albums that I call my favorite albums of all time that are County Crows albums. I only have one. So maybe one and a half. Maybe two. But mostly one. But Our Lady Peace, unapologetically, three of their records rank really, really, really high for me in all time. So that's that's I mean the the cultural exchange and the geographic exchange of, of rock bands 
and their popularity and influence is really an interesting thing, especially when we're talking about something so close. Yeah. Canada and the United States. For me, I don't understand why Sloan wasn't like an enormous band. Oh, that's a good point. Such an amazing band. Like, I really liked Eric's Trip. They were from Nova Scotia. But, like, there was, like, indie rock and, like, lo-fi, like, that 90s thing like that. But Sloan was, like, a really produced power pop thing that could have fit in with everything that was happening here. But they just never broke over here, ever. So we talked about Warren Zevon on the show recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And John wrote to say, I'm sending you the best cover version of a Warren Zevon song ever. Oh, great. Uh, David and Warren were good friends through session work and Jackson Brown, too. Check out his cover. What a band. George Duke, David Sanborn, Omar Hakim, Jorge Calderon, and Aaron Bullock. Also, if you ever get a chance, you should see the Larry Sanders episode when Warren was a guest. Werewolves of London is a key point. It's all based around Warren's hatred of that song. Oh, man. Have you ever seen that episode? Uh, yeah, but I, I don't remember it, but I have to go revisit it. Because I know I, we're going to have to find that. That was a show that like I missed, and it was over, and then I went back. You know, It's kind of one of those things. Yeah, I've always heard about it, but I've never, I've never actually watched it. Oh. We're back, and here is David Lindley with the Warren Zevon song, Werewolves of London. say i was not prepared for that Man, i that, was not prepared it's 1989 there's a reason the host said doing the warren zevon song werewolves of london because this is like the first time i saw dylan where you don't realize what dylan song he's doing until he's halfway through was it. that later with jules no this is snl oh that's snl snl 1989 david lindley weird unbelievable so you didn't know about that either no nah, no way fantastic john yeah. thank you see nice. and that's the, that's what's so fun about this is you can tell us about stuff we've have no idea about uh, and yeah we it's there's so much out there we don't know at all it's and we're aware of that so let us know what you know and let's make this a community we love it uh, again we are the story guys at gmail.com that's an easy way to do it and you can get involved with us on Instagram slash rock and roll bedtime stories and patreon is patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories yeah and make sure for sure that you uh, you know if you can support the show it helps us out a whole bunch and bring the, uh, the stories and, and everything that we bring to you every week. So, and thanks for listening and, and all your great letters. Really appreciate it. And until next time, keep telling stories.